this is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, president by president. You guessed it, folks. This week we are joined by none other than a man who has inked signatures in Germany, inked signatures in England. He's played in the MLS and, of course, he has created the entire team by which we cheer for week in and week out joining us this week is the lafc president of football operations and general manager jt himself mr john thorrington sir welcome to the show thank you very much episode 93 it's about time i made the cut thank you for having me <laughs> sorry um we'll have to talk to our receptionist that's that's terrible of us we yeah, really should have had congrats you to you guys 93 that's amazing that's definitely been a long journey and we've had some really great interviews and this is, I'm sure going to be one of the ones that we sit back and we're going to remember for a long time. So just thank you again for coming on and it's a great pleasure. I'm happy to be here. And some of the recent news with LAFC, we actually just got an announcement of a new signing today and who better to talk about our newest acquisition, none other than Mr. John Thorne himself. But if, for those of you who don't know, Mamadou Fall was just signed from SIMA, which is the Soccer Institute of Monteverde Academy, which is also the same place that we had gotten defender Mohamed Traore. And he is an 18-year-old defender that was off of the MLS waivers for a two-year deal with options through 2024. He is a defender. He's 18 years old, six foot, 263 pounds from Senegal, which is also where Traore is from too. Can you talk to us briefly about him and how you guys uh, found out about him? Yes, sure. And, and let me tell you, the fact that he is our first question tells me all about how in the know you guys are about all things LAFC. So happy to talk about that. So the signing of Fall is another exciting announcement and acquisition of a young player with incredible talent, very high ceiling. Now that we've got our operation going with our Las Vegas Lights partnership, I think he is a candidate to get a lot of minutes, at least at the outset with Steve Terundolo and our other young players. But I would not be surprised if he is not involved at the first team level as soon as this season. He is an incredibly talented central defender, Great mentality. He's competitive. He's incredibly athletic. He's got good technique. He's got everything that a modern day center back needs to succeed, both with the ball, without the ball. So we're incredibly excited to be able to acquire him. There are numerous clubs in Europe that wanted him. And I think once he saw our setup and our environment, we both are really excited. Both sides are very excited that he's taking the next steps of his career. And he's got a ways to go to develop, but he certainly has great starting points, and, and we're excited that we can announce that signing. We're really excited to see what Fall brings to the team and how his football life grows and develops with us. You touched on a lot of stuff we're going to dive into later with Terundolo and the Las Vegas Lights. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, we want to kind of dial it all the way back to when the beautiful game entered your life. We know you came to the United States at two years old from South Africa and quickly in Palos Verdes became involved with club soccer and local Mission Viejo. And so kind of take us through when football entered your life and some of those first memories of the beautiful game. Yeah, thanks. It's a it's a good question and topical because now it's coming full circle for me because now I have 
children of my own who are taking many of the steps that I did with sports and, and soccer in particular. Yeah, my story is not atypical in terms of a, a young kid growing up in Southern California. I started playing AYSO at the age of four. I think my parents didn't realize the rules being foreign and they signed me up a year early and took maybe a year head start. And initially it was, I was following my older sister around and would play whenever I could. I loved all sports and I played soccer, basketball, baseball as often as I could. And that would be through maybe high school. So maybe, maybe through eighth grade, I kind of played everything. I'd say it became fairly clear that while I'd say I loved every sport that I was playing, that around the age of 11 or 12, soccer definitely jumped to the forefront of my interest. I'm an incredibly competitive person. It's not coincidental that it ended up being the sport I was best at that I started to enjoy the most. And yeah, started playing with local club teams at 10 or 11. I played for a local club team called Fram, which is still going and played with them, played with local club teams and, and just have always loved, loved playing. The, the, the interesting story about me is I actually tried to quit soccer probably at the age of 10 because all my friends I played baseball with started playing American football and my parents being South Africans saw American football as basically like barbaric warfare with helmets and pads. And there was no way I was ever going to play that, which ironically I would have been able to play rugby had we stayed in South Africa. But so I actually wanted to stop soccer and go try American football. My parents had absolutely not stuck with soccer. And, and as I say, just loved playing, always have loved playing, finished playing with local club teams, 10, 11, 12. And then I think my freshman year of high school, there wasn't an elite level club team in my area. So I ended up playing for the Mission Viejo Patiadores, which is a non-MLS academy that still is a very strong development program. Played there and then got the opportunity to go overseas my junior year of high school. During all that time, were there any club teams that you supported? Was football, soccer, just a passion that you played or were you a supporter as well too? By the time I was in high school, so when I say I made the turn and started just playing soccer would have been when I was probably 14, freshman year of high school. And when I say I was obsessed with the game, that's an understatement. What's ironic now is when I look at what kids have access to in terms of watch, and you guys all at least look much younger than me. But like when I was growing up to try to even just find football on TV was like, they play Champions League at like 2.30 in the morning on a recording that I would record. And it wasn't until the World Cup in 94 that I saw real live football in person. I was able to go to a couple opening round games of the World Cup here at the Rose Bowl. But I was obsessed with it. I would find, I would have tapes of it. I would record games. I remember at that time, and this is just because they played in LA. It was Colombia and I was watching Valderrama and Romania had Jorge Haji and then you had our national team and I was at the US Columbia game, which had the obviously the, the tragic aftermath, but I was obsessed with the game and I loved Manchester United for no reason other than I loved Eric Cantona. And it's funny and I still have teachers that remind me when I used to say, why didn't you do your homework or why didn't you try? I used to say, I'm gonna go play for Manchester United. And like the probability of that, and I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, I'm just saying this amazing how life works, like the likelihood of it was literally zero, which my teacher then reminded me of. 
but I was obsessed with Man United. I had a Cantona jersey draped above my bed, and I still just think he was such a footballing genius. And yeah, from then I've just loved the game. It's been a big part of my life experiences since I was yeah four years old. I love the Eric Cantona shout out and mm-hmm. main United fan here. So, you know, the probability is close to zero, but somehow your footballing career did include Manchester United, Bayern yeah. Leverkusen. You were able to make your debut with Huddersfield. There's Grimsy Town in there. At one point, you come back to the MLS, Chicago Fire, where you're able to connect with someone that we all know, Bob Bradley, uh, and be able to play with him. And Vancouver Whitecaps, DC United. Then you were able to join the national team, under 23s, senior squad. Another way to connect and zigzag these paths, you sub on for your first cap for Steve Sharundalo. So, you know, you've, you've been able to kind of cross paths in different ways with some of the people that you work day in, day out now. If you could talk about, you know, that trajectory and the improbability making that possible, discuss a little bit about your career. Yeah. Is that actually true? Because I was actually talking to Steve about that. Is that true? I, my first cap was subbing on for Steve. August 11th, 2000. Ecuador? Yeah, so then, no, sorry, June 7th, 2001 versus Ecuador. You sub in for Steve Chirondolo. Yeah, I remember the game and we were talking about it and I thought that was true. So I, I'm glad we got a fact check on that. Yeah, I mean, what you just said, it's, I consider myself so privileged with the experiences we've had, the people that you come across, you know, when I never played for Bob in Chicago. Bob has a very big legacy in Chicago and everybody I played with that had played for him. My first interaction with Bob, I played against his teams and then I played for him with the national team. That game in particular, you're referencing Bruce Arena. You know, of course, Kenny Arena, his son, is one of our very good assistant coaches. But I came on for Steve in that game and I had been very good friends with Steve because with the under 20s, we were the only two European based players. So when we'd come back for camps, we'd always fly together, room together. And he's just a great guy you know, now having seen his professional career and what he's done on the field, off the field, it's, he, it's incredible that we were able to make him a part of LAFC and the Vegas Lights partnership. But, you know, what you reference, obviously what everybody thinks and talks about is the games and, and what have you, but football is such a small world and the people you get to come across, the places you get to live, experiences you have, those are really the, the things that shape you as a person and now very much inform who I am as a professional. And I've been very fortunate to have been around some amazing examples, leaders, players, coaches, managers, you know, to say that I got to witness who I would say is arguably the best manager slash coach in any sport ever in Sir Alex Ferguson. That is just, you know, selfishly, what an amazing opportunity that was for me. And to be able now in some capacity to help shape something here alongside some very, very talented people and take little bits of what I've picked up along the the way and try to serve this club as best I can is an incredibly gratifying experience. One question on Sir Alex Ferguson. How accessible is that hairdryer, really? (laughs) It's funny. I've never been, I was not in the room for the actual hairdryer incident i've been in the room for other things that have thrown and smashed and broken so now bringing into your time with lafc at the end of 2015 you were named executive vice president of soccer operations and general manager how was that conversation and can you take us back to that day when they 
came to you with the idea of LA and the team and, and just the whole vision and just talk about that experience? Yeah, Chris, it's a good question. So honestly, the initial conversation with LAFC had nothing to do with me joining the club. It was the serendipitous connection. So I was, I'd finished playing. I did all of my undergraduate studies in England as a promise to my parents because I didn't go the traditional route of playing college soccer at university. I then promised them I would do that. So I'd done my undergrad and I did half of my graduate degree while I was playing in Chicago. But then when I went to Vancouver and DC, put that on pause. So when I retired, I was then based in Chicago to complete that degree while working for the Players Association. And as I'm you know, living in Chicago, connecting with people, getting to know people, gentlemen, we had a mutual friend who said, you know, he mentioned something that was actually first to my wife. He said, yeah, you know, there's this bidding going on for the LA expansion team. Chivas has now been shuttered. And I was obviously working in the league with the Players Association, et cetera. So I knew what was happening. He said, yeah, there's something that a friend of mine, he's talking about buying the team in LA. And, you know, the number of times if you mention LAFC, someone's like, oh, my brother, this, and such a distant connection, you almost dismiss it. But I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it turns out that that mutual friend was Henry Wynn's business school roommate. So he then connects us very informally just to say, hey, same business school. You should connect with this guy, John. He's from L.A. and he's been around the league. At that point, it would have been for almost 10 years, been working in the league, the player executive or player association. You guys should connect. So my initial point of contact was Henry Wynn. He was coming through Chicago for something related to business. You know, we started talking very informally and I, I was personally just incredibly excited to hear these ambitions and this vision for football in my hometown. And at this point, I'm living in Chicago, finishing graduate school, working for the Players Association. It wasn't, the conversation then sort of developed organically into a getting to know each other for probably a year, six months. And then when I was at the crossroads of graduating and at a point where I was deciding what to do next, whether it was stay out with the Players Association, that was when conversations picked up with Tom Penn, the rest of the executives who were in place at that time of, of whom there weren't many at that time, but, and it sort of developed organically and it seemed to make sense for both sides. And I was incredibly grateful for the faith they showed in me. And yeah, every day I think about how I can repay that faith that the owners and, and the club have shown in me. So you get named our first general manager. Will Kuntz comes on board and you begin filling a roster for LAFC. So when you're going from scratch to a team that you have to field, how do you prioritize roster slots? What is that process like? And how is that different now from sustaining a built team? Very different. I'll go in backwards order. So if you think about what our job is, let's take the here and now of looking at this summer window and how we're going to refresh the squad, improve the squad, it's very limited in what we can do, right? In terms of a lot of it now is dependent upon what goes out will inform what we then need, what resources there are available to make those decisions, et cetera. So that's a very different dynamic than this blank slate, which goes to your first question, which is what, it, what was that process like? And I think for us, it was really important as we built our team was priority A was to be very diligent with owners, 
about what type of team we wanted. And a lot of that was speaking to supporters. How do you guys want to be represented on the field? How do we want to represent LA on the field? What will our on-field product look like? So we started to develop these characteristics and profiles. And it sounds really abstract, but I do absolutely believe that teams that represent their city and what those people that in that city think are great about that city. I think those are the teams that fans just like really passionately identify with. So that was our goal. And so we, that was what I would call our, our filter. Then who can deliver upon that? And of all the coaching candidates that were interested in it, we zeroed in on Bob to deliver all of the things that we knew he could then it became this, this whiteboard exercise where it literally was a whiteboard. And we decided, and some teams do it differently, there's no right and wrong, but our process was definitely we wanted the coach involved first. Before we made major player signings, we, we, it was important that we sync up, that we align, that we agree on the build out of the roster, the makeup of the roster, which is what we did. So we announced Bob in June, and priority one was who is the player that is going to send a message to everyone as to what this club is going to be about. And then that player obviously was Carlos. And for us, it was really important that we all agreed on that from owners through me and Bob. And so as the pieces then came together, you think you have Carlos and then you look at all the various mechanisms through which you can acquire players. I mean, the waiver draft is an example of how we acquired fall. That's one. There's, the expansion draft, which was critical for us. There's free agency that you have your DPs, you have USL, all of these things come together. If you have trades, all these types of things that, that come together. And what we did that I think was effective is we didn't start with players and then try to round peg square hole. We looked at qualities we needed and had a really tight filter of what types of players we wanted, which then made the decisions easier and we found the right players that fit what we thought would be an on-field product of which our supporters and our city and our owners and everybody would be proud. This club has often described itself as a selling club. We want to be a club that's going to move players on to the next level. So when you look to build the squad, how do you balance players that you look to keep versus players you look to turn over? Or is, is everyone looked to turn over? There has to be some veteran presence to balance it out. How does that mix come together? You said the word twice, balance. I think that's what it is, is finding that right balance that at times we could be accused of being too young. Other teams could be accused of being too old. And, and you're right, you need to find the right makeup. What I will say is for our economic model, it is important to us that we recognize where we are in the global landscape. And I think a huge aspect of our programming is identifying young, talented players who take a step forward in their career with us, who then have the potential of now going on and potentially playing in Europe and the player wins, the club wins. And so that is definitely a part of our roster that has that absolute intent in mind. We have other players like Carlos for whom that's not the case. And Carlos is, if I were to say, you're, you're thinking about how you represent LA, Carlos is the recognition that we're a city of stars. And so Carlos is that. Some of our younger players, it's more like this is the city where a lot of people come here to make it, right? So they're the young, talented guy that comes here, gets the opportunity, and then and then maybe goes on somewhere else. So it, it is exactly, as you say, finding that right balance. 
of stable veteran leadership. That's also finding the right balance of domestic players, foreign players, young players, older players, the skill set of each player, how that all blends together, how interdependent our style of play is also comes into it. So there are a lot of factors, but the key is what you said twice in your question, which is finding that right balance. With today, we've added a new defender. Are there any other areas of the roster in which you feel that we need to bolster and, you know, sort of reinforce? Yeah, I think for us, we're always looking to improve. And especially because of what I just mentioned or what you mentioned is this idea that we are, because of some of the talented players we have, we are always in conversations with other clubs that want to acquire these players. So we're always having two contingency plans. So the scouting process is not limited to one position or the other. I would say there are certain moments in time where yes, there are higher priorities. So if I were to take right now, and this is why it's important that we not blow in the wind and remain convicted about what we're doing and have real objective perspective and not be tempted by the roller coaster that is professional sports is to say, you know, if I were to sit here to you today and tell you we're not scoring enough goals, therefore we need to go really invest in our attack. If I would have said six months ago, pause, and that's what John's going to tell you in June of next year, you'd be like, you're crazy. That's never a problem for LAFC. They always score goals. The problem is defending. So all that to say, we definitely are looking to strengthen in every area of the pitch, a lot of where we are right now, which is the difference between steady state and expansion, is a lot of where we will strengthen will be a function of what we are moving on. So some of the market that you've identified in terms of scouting and bringing on young players, like you mentioned earlier, has been South America. So there's a definitive pipeline down there with a couple scouts in Ecuador and Colombia, being able to bring those on and been able to impact the team pretty immediately going back to the start of the team. Because of these outstanding performances and sustained performances. Do you feel like LAFC is more top of conversation for some of the clubs down in those two countries and some of the surrounding countries? Yeah, it's funny. When I go down to Uruguay now, having bought Diego and Brian, we are like everybody's second team down there. It's amazing. You see LAFC stuff down in Uruguay. All of our games are on TV. It's incredible. And yeah, I think the more proof of concept you have of this process where you're starting to see it. And I, and I don't want to say it's just LAFC. There are other MLS clubs doing this. Certainly that there is now proof of concept to say, yeah, look, if there are some Argentinian players who are being sold for $25 million straight into Europe, we're not in that, at least at LAFC is not in, is not fishing in those waters. But for these guys like a Brian, a Diego, an Atuesta, Cifuentes, Ginella, Palacios, these players that are now seeing, hang on, this is a really good stage for us. And rather than maybe go to a European team and take that full step, this is the right intermediate step to eventually get there. What I would say, what we are still executing is that last step, which is to have them come here and then actually execute those sales into Europe. I have no doubt that had COVID not hit us with that cycle would have been closed by now. But we've adapted and now, you know, we re-signed Edward, not for the reason that we necessarily think he's going to be an LAFC player for 10 years, but, you know, we adapted to the circumstances of COVID and, uh, you know, Edward is a 
and just one example of an incredibly talented player of really high ceiling that I think could play at the, the highest level. Another thing we've noticed is now there's more of an African presence as well. We have four African players, if you include fall. So it seems like you guys are always looking globally, not just South America, which is the initial identification of some younger players that could you know, be moved on and uh, help the economic model. But African talent is becoming more of a premium as well. So can you talk a little bit about that? And if the infrastructure around bringing those players on is different than the South American model? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that very insightful question because for us two years ago, what we found is we had moved fairly quickly into Uruguay, Colombia, and Ecuador. What we then were thinking to ourselves is what is next for LAFC? And our tactical approach in scouting has always been to be like a mile deep rather than a mile wide. So what we did is we focused on very specific markets rather than go into Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Peru, Uruguay, and try and be an inch deep, a mile wide. We've, we've targeted markets that we thought would translate well to our team and really dove deep there. And we still maintain those connections. We have people on the ground there, but we thought, well, what is next? And we identified Africa as that next frontier for us as a club and trying to go and find young talent. Our approach there is very different in that we have partnered with these academies. So like the academy that Mahala was at, the academy that Traore and Fall came from. What we've done is started to partner with them. So like, as an example, we sent Bob, what got, what planted the seed for the signing of Mahala is we actually sent Bob to the academy and Bob coached these kids and he coached Mahala on these fields in Ghana a few off seasons ago and identified Mahala. So we've taken a slightly different approach because the market there is very different. The dynamic and the market forces are different. So we took a different approach there and set up these partnerships with youth academies in Africa to get our eyes on their young talent. But we certainly have high hopes for those players as well. And then just to round it off, the other thing that we have been very intentional about is opening up Asia, which we signed our first South Korean player who has not started exactly where we thought he would because of an injury, but you know, he's in with the South Korean national team and we expect Moon to play a bigger part when he returns from the international break. So let's actually transition to some of the player development that we already have in-house. Our academy definitely was one of the first set of players that the LAFC community got to see before we started to kick the ball around on the pitch in 2018. So since its inception, how do you feel that the academy has met your expectations? Yeah, I think from the outset, it wasn't just lip service. We showed how important our academy was and that we started our academy before our first two years before our first team started. And and the reason for that is we recognized how rich this talent pool is here in Los Angeles. And we certainly felt that if we put the right staff and infrastructure together that it would serve the team well is certainly a part of it. But we also know how powerful it is for a club and for its supporters to see one of their own out there representing their team. And what I said in my first, I wouldn't call it an interview, but one of the things I mentioned to Henry and Tom and the other owners when I spoke is that my goal for LAFC in this role is that 
the 17 year old me, so let's just take me out of it, but the 17 year old who has an offer to go overseas chooses to stay at LAFC. And the reason I said that is that that would mean that he's had this amazing experience as a youth player in our academy, which is fully funded, top level coaching from the age of 10, great competitive games. They travel, they play international competitions. You know, I remember so many of you supporters were out in those first games against the Galaxy. It was just incredible. And the, the pictures are still up here. Just in, incredible memories. But what that would say is not just about his youth experience, but that it's like, but I can also make it here, you know, and I can play in this stadium in front of my friends and family, and I'll get that opportunity. And that was one thing that we always loved about Bob is he will play young players. We have a really good team. And he'll play young players. We saw it with Christian. We've seen it with Eric Duenas. We'll see it soon with Tony Leone and the next generation of these Mahala, these young kids, that it's not only that that 17-year-old is thinking, well, I've had a great experience here at LAFC. I want to stay. But it's like, this is the first professional step for me. And maybe I do end up going to Manchester United eventually. But that what that would say about us as a holistic club, and we talked about it, language was from cradle to cathedral, right? That it was like their whole process would come through and their footballing development, their development, as we talk about developing world-class players and people, that, that their whole experience, I mean, we, I do feel like the first meeting I have with Academy parents is I feel a moral obligation to take care of the whole kid, not just the player, because the reality is we don't know how many will become professionals what we do know is that the vast majority won't. So what are we doing for all of these kids? And I do think in terms of that, that expectation, look, we've already signed three professional players, some of whom have already played in professional games. They're playing for Mexican national teams, US national team. In that long-winded way of answering, I think our academy has really met and exceeded expectations. And I'm really excited to see how that now continues with this intermediate step of Las Vegas, where we'll see more and more of our academy graduates come into that team. You know, and, and in addition to us having this recent relationship with the Las Vegas Lights, there was also the recent announcement over the last six months about LAFC SoCal and that youth development. And they're saying too, that that also might be another avenue to start channeling players into our academy. And it's exciting. You know, my oldest son, actually, my six-year-old just got selected to join the seven U team for the LAFC SoCal. So it's, it's exciting. Congratulations, Dad. Yeah, it's, it's fun. So it's, you know, it's just something that you hear this vision of opportunity. And like you're saying that the chances of them being professional one day is very slim, but it's everything else that you're offering for them outside of just that. Yeah. I think what was disheartening for me is when I came in is that what I felt should happen is that LAFC being in Southern California should boost youth soccer in LA and Southern California. What I felt was happening was it was like the zero sum game that what was good for LAFC wasn't necessarily good for youth soccer. And so what we have been very intentional about is setting up to partner with, and rather than say, how can you help us go to Real SoCal and say, what do you guys need? How can, L how can LAFC being in LA actually help you? And so we've started these conversations and I hope that's the first partnership of many where we are able to make a positive impact and help grow the game and make bigger fans of the game and have kids enjoy and offer opportunity. All of these 
really great and positive things. We hope that's the first of many. So connecting a youth player in Los Angeles through to an academy, there's still that last step that has to take place before they join an MLS squad. And that, of course, starts with doubling your workload this year with the addition of Las Vegas Lights. So once again, you have been charged with creating a team from essentially scratch once again. So you now once again have to build an entire roster from the ground up. So how is the Las Vegas Lights build going to be different from the LAFC build? Thankfully, I actually have a staff now. (laughs) Contrary to the first go-round, So the Las Vegas Lights roster build was very different in that what what was great is not only on-field opportunities will now be found for our academy graduates, but it also allowed us to take some of our staff and give them real development opportunities. So what we did is we shifted a lot of people over to take management roles with Vegas and give them real autonomy and responsibility to go build that team and help build that team. And obviously I'm a part of all those conversations, but that's another really great aspect of this is it not just allowed for development on the field, but some off field development opportunities for some of our staff members. The lights certainly have struggled at the onset of their season this year. There's some cohesion that still needs to take place there for sure. As you're looking to help fill that roster out, how do you balance the desire to stockpile talent versus the desire to field a winning team? Yeah, I think for us, there is a bit of push and pull, but they're not necessarily mutually exclusive ideas. That there is not to say that if you are going to develop, you're not going to win. I think part of development is learning how to win. So for us, I think what has been eye-opening for me and us thus far is we were thinking and projecting how impactful our academy players could be. And what we need to remember, even just in a meeting this morning, is these are the first games these academy kids are playing in in a year. So like they literally more than a year. They have not played a game since pre-COVID. And that, I think, will take some time. We, given no no fault of anybody's, we, I don't want to call it a scramble, but it was certainly a mad dash to put the team together because we were still figuring out what exactly we were going to do, how the partnership would come together, et cetera. But I do not think that this early phase of the season is going to be an indication of what this team will be like. I think there have, we have seen at times really, really good things out of that group. I think now they start with their home opener tonight and I, and I'm expecting that both things can be achieved, that it will be a competitive team and that it certainly will serve as a great stage of development for our young players. Now let's transition to something that's top of mind for a lot of fans and supporters, which is the Rayito question. I know that there's been some details that have come out in terms of that uh, loan negotiation. And if Almeria is able to go up, it triggers a sale. For those that don't know, we're recording on the 4th of June, Friday, the first leg of the first playoff has happened. They're down 0-3, Almeria is, and the second leg is this weekend. So probability would say that it's going to be difficult to overcome that scoreline. And nice uh, way of putting it. Raito Raito is more than likely going to come back from a contract perspective, Mm -hmm. but I don't know uh, if you can share what kind of conversations have had or if there's a wait for the result before, because you've mentioned that there are contingency based on scenario A versus B, Uh, whatever goes out triggers what could potentially come in. So if you can, whatever you can share around that would be ideal. Yeah. As always, I am happy to be as open as I possibly can. So 
with Brian, there are three possibilities. One, he gets transferred, and amongst that possibility is the slim one that it's <laughs> that it's El Maria. Two is that he goes on another loan, and three is that he comes back. And I think for us, I don't think we have we certainly don't have all of the information yet to make that decision, but I don't think any of those are bad options and we're not backed into a corner on any of them. So we will look at all of the options. We'll sit down with Brian, with our staff, with his representatives and decide what makes most sense for LAFC and for Brian. So we're not, I feel like we're in a good position in that we will, we will be able to make a really good and informed decision when we need to. For our listeners, if he goes on another loan, does that open up the DP spot for the remainder of the season? Technically, yes. So the way MLS works is we do get roster relief, which that is a nerdy way of saying, yes, that DP slot is now open. The challenge you have is if he returns from a loan, he would still be considered a DP and you can't be caught with four DPs. So what you could conceivably do is as an example, if a DP goes on a six month loan, we could sign a a player at DP level, but the term you would need to have flexibility to get out of that if the player comes back. That makes sense? It does, yeah. So there's a contingency built into the player that comes in. Yeah, so it would be risky as an example if we signed a DP while a DP was on loan and it was not obligatory that the player moves on. That's the risk you run. So let's let's hypothetical real quick. So let's say, regardless of the Reita situation and how that plays out, let's say MLS decides to grant you a fourth DP slot today. Mm-hmm. With the current roster build, we've seen a variety of different types of DPs. We've seen the stalwart veteran, the rock star in Vela. We've seen the young talent that we hope to grow and sell. If you were given a fourth DP slot, what direction would you want to take that slot in? Is money no object? Money is absolutely no object. If money is no object, I'd go get, I mean, we have some of these players in our database. I would go get the guy who I thought gave us the best chance to win right now. And that's the balance, right? It's, it's if money's no object and I don't need to concern myself with a return on investment. Yeah, I'd go get, I'd probably go get a more experienced guy that I would say, uh, well, saying that it could be a young guy, but I would just say money, no object. I'd go get the guy that I thought would give me the best chance of, uh, us getting together in December and celebrating a championship. Well, amen to that. Thank you for placating our fancies. We really appreciate it's your not time. not just your fancy. <laughs> we really thank you. We know we've gone a little bit past your time and we sincerely appreciate you staying on with us. Uh, we have one final question for you. It's a question we ask every guest. It's the name of the show and it's Mr. John Thornton. What does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? Oh, good question. Shoulder to shoulder to me represents what... LAFC is. And what I mean by that is I think what is unique about LAFC is things like this, that we can connect. I think we cross lines that other organizations don't. And I think that's where I I feel like that shoulder to shoulder. Like I remember meeting supporters before we kick the ball and thinking this is something special. I know Bob mentions it almost every time he has an interview, our players notice it. The connectivity we have, and that's where in some part, when I say, as best I can, how can I represent our city well? I do feel like that connectivity we have with our supporters and our city, that is shoulder to shoulder to me. And that's something that I feel every time 
I'm around our supporters and the incredible passion they show. I played in MLS teams that were actually decent teams that if we had 5,000 people show up to something, it was like a miracle. And we had people where there was no promise of a player showing up, nothing. It was like a drum circle. And I don't mean to say that, to, but I just mean it was literally like, let's just get together and hang out. We had a found that foundation event where people lining up around expedition. I mean, it's just, it was a real sense of connectivity from the beginning. And that's what I think of and feel when I think of shoulder to shoulder. Well, thank you, sir. We sincerely appreciate your time and joining us again. Our guest today has been John Thorrington, the LAFC president of football operations and our founding general manager. Thank you, sir. On behalf of Chris Christian, sound engineer, Wilton and myself, we really appreciate you coming on, sir. You got it. Can I break rules and ask you guys what shoulder to shoulder is for you? Absolutely. Fire away. Who do you want to answer first? I want all three of you. So shoulder to shoulder to me is is what this show has become. It's community. It's being able to have conversations with people that apart from, you know, our love for LAFC wouldn't really happen. And just getting to know uh, their background, their interests, why this is important to them, how passionate they are uh, and being to connect, being able to connect in such a big city with people from all walks of life. And football does that. And now we have a team that is the fulcrum to do that. Before it was teams that were not in LA. So yeah. that's, that's what shoulder to shoulder means to me. What's, what just brought something out of me when I heard you say that is how, like, so I, I say that the most gratifying thing about this, I don't even call it a job, but what, what we're doing here is sharing it. You know what I mean? And it's like, as you say, it's I've reconnected, not just with my family and Peter Guber always talks about it being like the campfire. So like my family's at every game and it's like this routine now that we see them, but it goes all the way to like guys I went to high school with that, I'm walking over, waving at the 3252, and I see a guy I haven't seen in 20 years who's like tatted up with an LAFC thing. And I'm like, dude, you didn't even like soccer in high school, you know? So I, I definitely feel you on that. Chris, go for it. For me, honestly, what shoulder to shoulder means to me is just the way that this community is banded together in good times and in bad. And I think that it's really easy to see a community get together when everybody's sharing good times. It's not as easy to get together when you're seeing bad things, whether it's events like the orphanage events that we did in Leon, or if it's when Jose, one of the members of the 3252 had gotten hurt on his job and it's, or things with Mo, it's seeing the community come together and be there for each other in the bad times Mm-hmm. more so than the good times and, and it's just being part of this family and when you're at a match and the team is scores a goal and it doesn't matter if you know the person next to you you hug and you high five and it is that family feeling that is what shoulder to shoulder has been most significant for me about and what, what about how you guys cheer when we get scored against to rally the team it's amazing absolutely you know, I mean, ideally, we would sing the same level as loud as we can from start to finish. But there is, you know, something about and I'm sure Max Bredos would appreciate this reference of it goes to 11. Right. And when the team's down and you have to reach and find something just a little bit more that the 3252 has that ability and, and the rest of the stadium has that ability to just dig a, a little bit deeper. Yeah. And to me, uh, you know, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to me? I, I was actually a guest on the show before I was ever a host. So I've actually answered this question once. So if I was to change my answer a second time, you know, to me, I find that 
living in a big city and in modern society can be so isolating. Mm. We have such a tendency to go from our car to our screens, to our house. We avoid people in public. You know, I don't even know half of my neighbors on the street I live. It's so easy to become compartmentalized. And something that Shoulder to Shoulder has, has forced us to do to great benefit is be involved in community once again. And when you stand there side by side with people, you're forced to be involved in their lives. And that creates a support network around you. And it creates a care and a passion and an investment that you have in what's going on a block away that I didn't have before LAFC. And as much as I love this city, I feel way way more connected to the people in it now because of LAFC than I did having, you know, lived in California my whole life. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you for answering guys. Appreciate no, it. Thank I, you so I, much for joining you know, us. No one, no one had ever asked us that, right? So you were the very first one. It, and it, it's definitely, you know, if you're not prepared for it, you got to have to think on the spot and it's it, it can be because it is it's it's a big question right it's such a it's on the back of our kits every yeah. season you right like it is such an identity for us that it, it's important right and you want to make sure that you answer that question for to its core of what it really means for you john yeah. you're welcome to come co-host episode 100 if you want <laughs> yes episode 100 the centennial when is that uh, well, if we do an episode uh, a week like we should be doing, it'll be seven weeks from now. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Okay. All right. All right. That's it. We uh, we got a contract with the contract man himself to join us for episode 100. So uh, thank you, Sarah. So on behalf of John Thorrington, Christian Signs, Christian Aparicio, sound engineer Wilton, the man, the myth, the legend himself, and myself, Jonathan, thank you all for listening to episode 93. Don't forget to follow, like, subscribe at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. We sincerely appreciate you all listening today. And with that, take us home, Sticks. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.